This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. And hello, everybody. We are getting, uh, can you dig it? I can. My, hello. Welcome to a name. That was so awkward. Hello. Welcome to another episode this week of the Do Not Listen to This Podcast. I am your host, Sam LaCrosse. Like I said before, can you dig it? I can. So here we are. So today is going to be a shorter post than usual for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, I really fucking fumbled the bag on um, getting out of the gate fast this week, I should say. Um, because I, what I usually do is, you know, when I'm writing a new post, particularly, I kind of just, you know, stage it out and do something where I write usually the first, you know, the intro and then the first section, second section, third section, then edit and then do the podcast on Friday. And I've been pretty good with that. But this week I was writing something and I thought it was a good topic or, and I think it still is a, a good topic, but I was getting through about, you know, the first part of it and it really felt forced. And I really kind of was like, yeah, God, this, you know, fucking, you know, sucks. I mean, this is, it, we were literally, it was just, it was so awful. And I, I felt, you know, ashamed of it. I, I really did. And so I was like, you know, this is horrible. Why don't I get rid of this and we can, you know, move forward and do something that's more productive and, and, um, and constructive. And honestly, that's why I trimmed back this year on writing new content. So I, I am not doing now um, I, yeah, I am, I am not doing, um, fucking, what is it? I'm not doing a post a week because last year I had a lot of, it was a very interesting year. Obviously 2020 will go down in infamous is one of the most interesting years ever, I think. And, um, you know, I was doing that and, you know, so there was a lot of stuff to write about. There were a lot of things going on, but you know, after that, you know, you kind of, you, I wanted to focus on the quality more than the quantity. And I think the, the quality has gotten better. I still don't think it's great. I still think I actually need to trim it down more, if you can believe that. But um, anyway, so I was writing this this week, and then I was really in a rut, and I had you know severe writer's block, which you know thankfully doesn't happen to me that often. But you know I was feeling just kind of like really flat-footed, and I, I had no idea what to write about. But then an event happened last week, and you know that really kind of sparked something. And it's a shorter post, like I said today. Um, I had to get COVID tested. I'm going to see Andrew Schultz's comedy show on the infamous tour with a buddy tomorrow or today, actually, since it's coming out on Sunday. So that's exciting. And I wanted to kind of just, you know, do test out a shorter post on one hand to see kind of how, you know, that would play out because most of my posts, as you probably all know, are long and I talk a lot and I use a lot of, you know, big words to make myself, myself sound smarter than I actually am because I'm really not that smart, I don't think. But anyway, so 
I'll just kind of get right into it, you know, just more something to think about than anything else, nothing really actionable or anything like that, but just kind of something just, you know, short and sweet and we can really kind of get through it in hopefully a, a decent enough fashion because I will be candid. I am in the middle of the Ohio State game right now. It's just about halftime and I want to watch my Buckeyes. So I want to get this, uh, this done and over with. So like I said, I had a post drawn up for this week. I had the intro actually completely done and I was starting the second section or the first section, I should say. Something about Tim Dillon and addiction that led into something about Russell Brand explaining the meaning of life and, you know, it basically just fucking sucked. And, you know, I was borderline ashamed of it, like I said earlier. Not because of Russell Brand or Tim Dillon, who, both of whom I respect tremendously, but because I didn't feel like it provided any value to what someone else might get out of it. This has been a continual struggle for me, particularly in the last year. I write this blog primarily for myself and to get my thoughts and feelings out there so they don't make me spontaneously combust. The mind is a powerful thing. It can destroy you if you let it. But I also realize that a lot of people feel the things that I feel. If I'm certain of anything involving my work, it is that there is hardly anything that I've ever written that a lot of people haven't at least felt slightly once. All of my posts stem from a feeling. Everything in our life does, as proven by Daniel Kahneman, Mark Manson, and others, when in that I describe in the two E's. We are feeling-based creatures. Logic is secondary. All we can do, therefore, is try to justify our feelings with logical impulses to try to perceive the world around us. That is the purpose of my work, as it pertains to other people. I try to bear my emotional soul, justify it with my personal logic to make sense of those emotions, and then try to make them as relatable and applicable as possible so that it could potentially help at least one person. But lately this has been a struggle. I've written a lot of shit, like I said earlier. Pages upon pages of endless Google Docs that I've used in a valiant attempt to comprehend the world around me and make sense of this incredibly bizarre time we're living in. The topic I alluded to earlier, as I said before, wasn't a bad topic. The problem was that I didn't feel strongly enough about it. Passion is a confusing thing, as, we, as we've discussed previously. But I can't lie and say that it's not at least some of the genesis of quite literally everything I've written on this forum and said on this podcast for the most part. So when I wasn't feeling it, I decided to do what I've done more times than I'm willing to admit. I scrapped the whole thing. I highlighted every single word, picture, and really bizarre cultural reference and hit backspace. I had nothing when I woke up on Thursday morning. I thought I was going to have to throw some half-assed topic out there to keep up with my schedule and hope that shit stuck to the wall. I was terrified. I had a tremendously busy week at work, and I hadn't done nearly enough due diligence in the thing that, kept, that keeps me sane. But then I remember that thing I told you about earlier. The thing that absolutely gut-punched me on Wednesday, and I got to thinking. Stand-up comedian Norm MacDonald died on Tuesday. He was 61 years old. He died of cancer of which he had hardly told nobody, not even some members of his own family. He had been fighting the insidious de disease for an astounding nine years. He did countless late-night appearances, sats, and various other acts during this time. He wrote a memoir, which is cited by many people as one of the funny and most incredible memoirs ever written. He did all of this by battling late-stage leukemia, much like Chadwick Boseman. And while Norm didn't have negative 7% body fat in film action movies, it's still astonishing that he was able to achieve what he did during the time of his diagnosis. He carried his cross quietly. He suffered in silence, and now he is gone. For those who don't know, Norm MacDonald was born in Canada and started doing stand-up in his 20s in Ottawa, where he eventually became a writer for Roseanne before joining Saturday Night Live as a writer in the second golden era of the 1990s. He became close friends with a lot of the cast members, who all praised him for his willingness to go where no one else would. MacDonald constantly pushed the envelope. He was truly brave, and eventually hosted the famed Weekend Update segment after Kevin Nealon resigned the position. But McDonald was too brave, even for Saturday Night Live. He was canned at the end of the decade for what was deemed as, quote, insubordination, 
Mostly due to his constant, unrelenting jokes about people like Michael Jackson and O.J. Simpson, who a high-ranking NBC executive was close friends with. He then went on to star in minor movies, host some television shows, and perform stand-up across the country. He could never stick around in one place for too long. In an increasingly politically correct world, comedians like Norm MacDonald were becoming dinosaurs. The most infamous incident came in the late 2010s, where Netflix, Netflix had offered MacDonald a 10-episode run of his own show, aptly titled, perfectly in the case of Norm, Norm MacDonald Has a Show. It was meant to be a talk show. The 10 episodes ran and were well-received. But Norm MacDonald had made a mistake in the process. He pissed off the mob. After the first season aired, MacDonald went public on four strictly don't-go-there subjects at the time. Louis C.K., Me Too, Roseanne Barr, and Special Needs Children. He slammed the Me Too movement and, def and defended his friend Louis C.K. in the wake of his sexual harassment allegations, saying that she'd have be been given more of a fair shot and treatment from the media. He did the same with Barr, another close friend, who had recently been canceled for prior racist remarks. When making a joke about stupid people, he chose to substitute, quote, retarded for Down syndrome. This, obviously in this climate, led to calls for Norm's head immediately. Every politically correct person in the country wanted Norm to suffer for his, quote, sins, he had, quote, hurt people, according to them. But Norm didn't just not back down. He doubled down. He went on a trademarked apology tour, but didn't apologize. At least sincerely. On The View, while being gr grilled by Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg on how awful of a person he was by defending Louis C.K., who was a close friend of his, he took out a pack of white mints, shook them in his hand, and threw them in his mouth while responding to questions. The ladies hosting the show, of course, missed the absolutely hysterical imagery. Norm refused to be canceled. He defended himself. He stood up for comedy. This led to his Netflix show being canceled, and Norm being temporarily blacklisted from all the world of, of comedy, save for a few spots in his friend's shows and movies. He continued to do this until the day that he died, where the comedy world collectively mourned him. The list of those people include Ken Jeong, Steve Martin, Patton Oswalt, Jon Stewart, Tom Segura, Joe Rogan, Jim Carrey, Howard Stern, Sarah Silverman, Adam Sandler, Conan O'Brien, David Spade, Whitney Cummings, Tim Dillon, Andrew Schultz, David Letterman, Seth Rogen, Seth MacFarlane, Anthony Jeselnik, Rob Schneider, and Bill Burr, among others. To say that he was a titan is an understatement. While it obviously doesn't pain me as much as Norm passing away, it was quite stunning to see, the lot of see that a lot of people my age not knowing who he was or how incredibly gifted he was. He was just another old, washed-up celebrity from the 90s who didn't really do much of anything for them at all. I was astonished. Norm MacDonald was one of the funniest human beings I'd ever seen in my life. His humor and intelligence applied to that humor were otherworldly, in my opinion. He was your favorite comedian's favorite comedian, as evidenced in the previous paragraph. I began to dig up tri tributes from Norm for Norm MacDonald and saw them poured in in immense numbers. Conan O'Brien, who he wrote with on Saturday Night Live, and David Letterman, who gave Norm many big breaks, both said that they were absolutely devastated. The funniest man in the world, to them was now gone. I saw heartbreaking tributes from Adam Sandler, David Spade, and Rob Schneider, three of my heroes growing up, all of whom had lost a best and dear friend. So many of my favorite Saturday Night Live sketches were written by Norm MacDonald. Norm's favorite Saturday Night Live cast member was Chris Farley, who is, to this day, the greatest comedic force I've ever witnessed in my entire life. He, like everyone else, agreed that he was the funniest person on the show during that era. That was extremely eye-opening for me, given how funny Norm was himself. But Norm MacDonald was also an incredibly flawed man. He was a degenerate gambler. He could never hold a stable relationship with a significant other. 
He smoked cigarettes. He drank too much. He pissed a lot of people off. He lost a lot of opportunities because of it. His counterparts in Saturday Night Live and elsewhere were catapulted into stardom. Well, he mired in relative obscurity other than comedy junkies who knew what he was actually funny for. We know many of the people in the comedic world better than Norm MacDonald in the mainstream. But maybe that's what we're missing. The starving artist persona is a well-known one. Basically a guy who says fuck the entire world, runs to use Winnebago, and sells his entire life to finance an endless supply of canvas and finger paint to make drawings that he sells for 50 cents because it, quote, completes him. Most people think of this person as a nutcase, a wingnut, some other bizarre term we have for comparing nuts to people. Crazy, stupid, a mix of everything in that realm. But to that, I raise a question. Why are we doing this? Maybe it's because we're racist against finger paintings, I don't know. Maybe we should think that we're better than this person. Maybe we're ashamed to associate ourselves with him to, with him to fear our reputation's taking a hit. Maybe we just want to make him feel like shit. Or maybe, just maybe, we do this because we envy them. That finger painter, whether you like his finger paintings or himself or not, is totally free. He is untethered from the earth. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. He isn't bound by money or fame or social status or anything, really. He is simply free to do whatever the hell he wishes to do. If he wants to finger paint, that's cool. He can live out of that, live out of that used Winnebago and sell those shitty drawings while barely making money to feed himself. We don't care, we say. But we do care. And we should care. Art, in essence, is the act of creating something that didn't exist before. Whether that's finger painting or a piece of software, software excuse me, art is everywhere, and in every which fashion. The problem with a lot of art, particularly modern art, is that a lot of other art has come before it. Therefore, hardly anything is ever truly original anymore. My mom always likes to comment about how movies are constantly being remade and not a lot of them seem original. There is some truth to this claim. But it's not that simple either, simply because so much has been done before. Creators, true creators, are very rare, as we've discussed in prior posts and podcasts. So a lot of people who want to try, who want to try usually end up ripping something off and pawning it off as their own. This is not necessarily an unforgivable thing, but people can sure as hell see through it. But I think that most people deal with it because they realize that not a lot of them can do much better. Creating a new idea, like a really new idea, is very hard. As we've talked about in The True Cost of Greatness, people that are exceptional in this area of life generally are absolute dog shit in others. Not a lot of people want to take that risk, and I don't blame them, frankly. Norm MacDonald was one of those people. If I had described him in one word, it would be pure. Why do I use that word, you might ask? And I'll go back to what I said earlier for the answer. Norm didn't want to be anything other than funny. Nothing. He didn't want to start a company. He didn't want to do podcasts like every other comedian today. He didn't want to do late night television. He didn't want to star in movies. He didn't want to pump out Netflix specials. He just wanted to be funny. These other options, however, are incredibly enticing because we know what results from them. Adam Sandler started a production company and is now worth over $400 million. Kevin Hart does a ton of movies. A lot of them are dog shit, particularly now, but he still makes a fuck ton of money. Joe Rogan's podcast is a minimum worth of $100 million and definitely more. Tom Segura has three podcasts. Bill Burr runs a comedic podcasting company. David Spade and Trevor Noah and the other unfunny, unfunny people minus David Spade that did and do late night television are raking it in. Norm MacDonald's biggest lead role was a movie called Dirty Work, which I'm sure about negative seven of you even know exists. Norm MacDonald didn't want these things. He simply wanted to be funny. He wanted to delve up as deep, of, delve as deep into the art of comedy as possible. 
it was hard to come up with a comparison of someone in that same realm. So many people have gone the more commercial route and stayed away from the lackluster version of what they thought comedy was in the realm of norm. I can only think of one other person who I think fits the description actually better than him. Patrice O'Neill is also one of the funniest men who has ever lived, and also one of the most interesting. I love Andrew Schultz's comedy, and Patrice was his biggest inspiration. I think Bill Burr is probably the funniest man currently on earth, and he called Patrice O'Neill the most purely funny being he's ever been around. But as Patrice O'Neill was loved, he was also despised. Patrice O'Neill was a gigantic man. He reminded me of Biggest Smalls. He was 6'4", 300 pounds, black, and had an absolute megaphone for a voice. To say that he was intimidating was to put it mildly. Patrice O'Neill specialized in probably the most confrontational style of humor I'd ever seen and ever will see from a stand-up comic. Raised in Boston, he would do sets at a comedy club that sometimes were only composed of him roasting the people that had paid to see him get in. He begged people to heckle him in the middle of shows. He literally paid people to leave. He just whipped the money out of his wallet and bribed them to. He was going to be uniquely him. If he didn't like it, too bad. He knew who he was and was going to compromise that for anyone. Patrice wasn't just a comedian. Like all great comedians, he was also a philosopher. His mantra was, quote, tell the truth at all costs, and tell the truth he did. As Patrice began to get more noticed more, particularly with people like Keith Robinson, Kevin Hart, Bill Burr, Colin Quinn, Jim Norton, and Opie and Anthony, his profile began to be raised ever so slightly. More people heard of him, and more people thought he was absolutely hilarious. Opportunities started to pop up, most notably after he did several tough crowd appearances, with, which was hosted by Colin Quinn and the others in that group among all, a lot of other comedians across the country. But there was a problem. Patrice always told the truth, remember? That meant telling people things they didn't want to hear. The most notable incident of this happened when he began to appear in minor spots on The Office. Craig Robinson, who played Daryl Philbin in the show and was my personal favorite character, was friends with Patrice and convinced the people running the show to offer him up some small parts to get him exposure. When Patrice was filming on set, everything was normal. But when the cameras turned off, he couldn't contain himself. During breaks on set, he would mock his own cast members. He would say that they weren't funny. He would mock the writers and say that their jokes were stupid. He would rip apart the premise of the entire show in general, telling everyone that they weren't as good as they could have been because they were too afraid of the big man of NBC crushing them, much like we saw earlier with Norm MacDonald. It wasn't provocative enough to Patrice. And Patrice wasn't necessarily wrong. But NBC didn't care. He only appeared in three episodes. Similar other events began to happen across Hollywood. Patrice sabotaged nearly everything that he did. His most prominent appearances in mainstream media, at least of recent, were on Charlie Sheen's roast on Comedy Central and an appearance on Jimmy Fallon to promote his new special and only special, Elephant in the Room. The special, also appearing on Comedy Central, went on to become an absolute smash hit and it's regularly cited as one of the funniest hours of comedy ever put together. Unfortunately, Patrice O'Neill never got a handle on his weight problem. He ballooned to his heaviest 400 pounds and his diabetes began to rage heavier. At the age of 41, he suffered a diabetes-related stroke and was pronounced dead a few days later. The comedic world collectively mourned him, too. Tributes began to pour in, mostly from close friends who went on Opie and Anthony to tell their stories. But most telling, in my estimation, was a tweet from Norm MacDonald. Quote, The funniest man in the world has just died. End quote. The funniest man in the world. Dave Chappelle was still alive. So was Kevin Hart. Chris Rock was as well. Fuck, even so was Norm MacDonald. 
So why did Norm respect Patrice more than all of them? If I had to hazard a guess, I would say that Norm saw in Patrice what everyone else saw in the both of them. That they just wanted to make people laugh. Patrice and Norm were two of the most pure comedic souls in the world. In my opinion, they were the two most, simply because they didn't want anything else other than to attempt to perfect their art. They just wanted to make people laugh. Norm and Patrice were so beloved because they were so simple. They were complex as human beings, as we all are, but the goals that they went after weren't anything in particular. They weren't trying to, quote, send a message with every joke they cracked. They didn't try to be activists. They didn't want to prove some greater point. No. Their ambitions were much simpler than that. They were chasing an ideal. Although idealism can be very dangerous if taken to the extreme, again, like all things, the pursuit of it in honorable and noble fashion is something to behold. It doesn't happen much anymore. We live in a noisy world. People are too fucking distracted. None of them seem to have the capacity anymore to pay, pay attention to the simple things. We all want to be moguls or Instagram models or people who buy bottles at clubs. The way we want to achieve those things is become, by becoming great at something, which will open the door to all of them if they are indeed truly great at that something. But Norman Patrice proved that there is a different path. They proved that you could still be beloved by so many people while doing the thing that you love the most. Now, were Norman Patrice two incredibly gifted and skilled comics? Of course they were. They're a rare breed as well. The point that I'm trying to bring up is that even though those two men spurned mainstream culture, they were still able to achieve greatness. They didn't make as much money as their contemporaries and didn't go on to achieve greatness in the typical sense, but they were universally recognized by the industry that they belonged to that they were the standard. And I think that's pretty cool. Comedy is only one industry, though. Art exists everywhere, if one is willing to look for it. And the best artists in our widespread culture of art are always the ones that starve. Always. The reason for this is the same reason that I mentioned with Norman Patrice. They're pure. They're simple. There's nothing, quote, in it for them, except to be more talented at the thing they're very talented at. And examples of this are everywhere. Bill Gates and Steve Jobs started operating in business around the same time in the mid-1970s. Steve Jobs died with a net worth of around $10 billion, no modest sum. But Bill Gates, post $60 billion to charity, is worth around 13 times that. But what of their companies? Apple is quite literally, you can look this up, the most valuable company in the world. Its products stand as the model for the future, and of the present. Microsoft, while still a great company, is just another great company. It doesn't stand above any, anyone else. Sure, it makes cloud computing software and operating systems and tablet computers. But a lot of companies make those. Steve Jobs made sure that Apple didn't. While $10 billion certainly isn't starving, Steve Jobs also could have made sure he had a lot more. But he didn't. He didn't want to be a business magnet. He wanted to be an artist. The world, no matter what you think of the company is now, is better off for it in many ways. Kendrick Lamar isn't going to the Met Gala or spending time flexing on Instagram. He's obsessed with becoming better at music. In fact, he's leaving his very own production company that he founded, Top Dog Entertainment, because he feel like he's going, feels like he's going stale. There are very few musicians, much less rappers, that win Pulitzer Prizes for their work. He is the rare exception, rather, because he isn't chasing what a lot of the others are chasing. There's nothing wrong with this. But when Kendrick Lamar chose to starve, his value immediately went up. The world is better off for him doing this. Daniel Day-Lewis is probably the best actor of the last 50 years. You don't see him at the Met Gala either, or really anywhere for that matter. 
because Daniel Day-Lewis is a fucking nut job. He's completely obsessed with perfecting his craft. Not many sane people go around dressed like Abraham Lincoln both on and off the camera for a full six months while filming a movie. Day-Lewis did. Heath Ledger locked himself up in an apartment for a month and thought satanic thoughts about killing babies for the entire time to get in character for the greatest film villain of potentially the last 25 years. He ended up killing himself, and he wasn't remotely as popular as Brad Pitt or Leonardo DiCaprio. But the world is better off for those versions of Abraham Lincoln and the Joker. Greatness doesn't always have to mean you eat cereal out of a tin can and do finger painting. A lot of those people aren't good or talented at all. They're just nut jobs. There are a lot of people who are indeed simply starving artists. But we need people to be. Because without them, we would have no true innovation. We would stagnate. Our culture would descend into authoritarianism in the domain of the medieval. In some cases, it already has, unfortunately. But art is the one thing in our culture that prevents that. It forces us to go forward, to evolve, and to change. We have it so backwards here in America. We weren't built off of private equity. Our culture shouldn't run on the backs of uninteresting financial planners and software developers. That's not a system that's sustainable. That's a Ponzi scheme. It's a fraudulent and pathetic way of running any system that pretends to benefit the people it serves. The creators, the ones that starve, make us who we are. Not the people that pretend to create, but rather the people who actually do. Respect the people that put in the work, the time, and the effort to make your life better. Because whether you accept it or not, they do. Even when that work is telling his neighbor about who, telling you about his neighbor who works for the fictional University of Science. Trust me, it's worth the time. So, again guys, just something to make you think, made me think a lot. Rip to Norm MacDonald, a great, great, com like great comedian. I suggest you all go down a YouTube rabbit hole and spend a while there. You'll be better off for it. I hope you guys have a great weekend. On the day, open your mind. Thanks for listening. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?